Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and it is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and let you know what we've been playing recently. And we have an awesome episode with the Meeple Dungeon, Board and Game with Andrew B, Dice and Dragons, Board Game Community Show, Board on the Air, Board Game Hot Takes, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, take the time to check out the show notes to the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And like I always say, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the Watchman Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week is uh, Halloween week. Ooh. And this every year around this time, there's a certain game that we must play. Mm-hmm. And we played it. What game is that, Anna-Marie? That game is Mask of the Red Death. Designed by Adam Weiss, art by Gris Grimley. I always think it's Gris. I don't know. It could be Gree, but I think it's Gris. And uh, published by IDW Games. Yep. Mask of the Red Death. Uh, This is a fantastic uh, horror-themed game based on the works of Edgar Allan Poe. And I'm just going to read you a quick thing off the back of the box here so you, uh, you understand what's going on in this game. As nobles at... A magnificent masquerade ball, you and your friends all vie to improve your social standing. Gossip flies, rumors swirl, and with each chime of the ebony clock, hearts fill with dread and despair. Dun, dun, dun. As midnight approaches, you begin to realize that something is amiss. Based on Edgar Allan Poe's sinister story, Mask of the Red Death pits you and up to six of your friends against each other as you <laughs> as you hobnob with the prince. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But disaster strikes at midnight. You must balance your actions carefully between currying the prince's favor and discovering which room the Red Death will visit. After all, having the highest social standing only matters if you survive. So true. Mm -hmm. So true. So, yeah, like it said, this game does play to seven players. uh, And and I think the more the merrier. Oh, absolutely. This game you want you want at least six. Six six works really well. Seven is just uh, even that much better, but six is great. And so, yeah, this game you are playing as you're, you're taking on the role of one of six or seven different characters. Nobles, yeah. Nobles that are, are joining the prince in his castle during the plague that's happening outside. Yes. And you're enjoying life and all the, you know, all the... the Pleasantries it brings. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? the, the prince thinks he's above the plague, so... Yeah, so he he's in, locked the castle and all the nobles inside noble trying to wait it out. Yeah. Uh, but the Red Death has got other plans and he's basically this demon yes. that's coming to just murder everybody. It's death. Yeah. It's death himself. Or <laughs> itself. Um, and so this game's pretty cool. You, 
the the board represents kind of all the different rooms of the castle and every every round you're going to play one card from your hand everybody has the same hand of cards uh that starts the game and you have i think it's 10 cards or something you have yeah you get i think it was nine cards that everybody had that are exactly the same and then everybody has an individual player card so you end up with 10 cards in your hand but yeah, yeah yeah And um, what you're going to do on your turn, you're going to play one card. That's it. Simple as that. And you reveal your cards all in um, uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then depending on player order, which is actually your determined by your popularity, because during the game you're going to get popularity points, you're going to lose popularity points. It moves you around a track. Yeah, it moves yeah. around this track around the board. Um, depending on that, you're going to fire off all the different actions. And whoever has the least popularity always goes first. Yes. And the different actions can be like gaining information. So what you're trying to do at the end of this game is survive. So you're yeah. going to try to get <laughs> try to get to midnight, um, and have it figured out what rooms death is going to kill in and at what time. Yeah, he kills uh, every ten minutes for six for six different time slots. Time slots. He's going to kill in two different rooms. And uh, yeah, so you need to. You need to figure out the rooms either where he is going to be or, or where he is not going to be. Yeah. And then you have to plan out your, your movements. You have to, yeah, you have to plan out your movements, your whereabouts from 12 to 12.50 for every 10 minutes. <laughs> to make sure that you evade death. And but I if don't... if you can do that, yeah. you win the game. And if multiple people are able to evade death, which is very rare... Um, it's whoever, whoever has, had the highest social standing is going to win yeah. the game because you're the fanciest person to survive. I don't think, yeah, I don't think we have played a game yet of this where somebody has gained all the information they need nope, needed and involved. been able to manipulate the board the way they want yeah, to. No. There yeah. is always nail bite, like nail biting from every person, no matter no matter who. Like everyone's like, oh yeah. <gasps> No, yeah. The, in the last segment, there's no way I've ever played with someone that's got it completely figured out. No. And it's cool because as you go through the game, I think there's uh, 12 rounds. And every round, you're just going to play a card from your hand. And most of the cards in your hand, you're just going to be playing once. Yes. And there's only couple. two cards yeah. that you can play that you're actually going to be able to play as many times as you'd like. Those cards are for gaining knowledge as to where death is not going to be. So you can kind of plot it out. And then also act, adding an extra movement yeah. and upping your social status, uh, you can get those cards back. But other than that, you're only playing a single card once and that's out of your hand and now you've got to play the rest of the game with whatever you've got in your hand. And some of those actions are like stealing cards from each other, gaining uh, popularity for myself and stealing popularity from you mm-hmm. or me and you both get popularity or various things. And it's just a wild ride. This game oh is goodness. one of the most tense games we've ever played. And it's so fun. It's so, it's so, so good. fun. It just, it's dripping with theme. Yes. And it's, um, it's just so good because you really are just, you're trying to, the whole time you're trying to get information, but you don't always get to keep that information because nope. your cards can get stolen. And, and so then you're trying to memorize, okay, that's he's, he's going to be, he's not going to be in this room at 12 and at this room at 1220 and this room at 1250, but he's going to be at this room at 1210. Right. And then you're like trying to 
Like I, that last game it's we played, crazy. I was just repeating things because constantly. Because you cannot write anything down. No, you can't, it's, it's all, all through memory. memory or the cards that you've collected yeah. and keep in front of you. But like she said, people are going to steal those cards right out from so underneath you. So then you have you. to like commit them to memory and it's oh, not man. easy. <laughs> it's crazy. Because there yeah. were like seven different rooms, I think. Uh, yeah, seven rooms and killing in two, two rooms every 10 minutes oh, at the goodness. end of the game. It's just a wild, wild thing. And I've only ever won this once. Yeah. Um, I think you might have won a couple times. Yeah, I don't know. But it's, oh, it's so good. I won this year. You did. <laughs> I know that yeah. much. <laughs> because you were the fanciest. Because you and Corey both survived. Yes. And, and I had I was farther on the popularity, popularity track. Popularity, yeah. But I guessed on like four of four or five of the seven rooms. Yeah. It's a nail-biting, so. crazy good time. <laughs> yeah. So highly recommend if you can if you can find a copy, because this is out of print, uh, Mask of the Red Death from IDW. It's fantastic. You should get it, because it's great. <laughs> um, but that's it for this week and we're going to run and we will see you next week cheers see ya hi this is Andrew Buckle supportinggame.com and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week I'm going to talk about Ride the Rails Ride the Rails is a 2020 release by Capstone Games, the second in their Iron Rails series. It follows Irish Gage and is ahead of Iberian Gage. Ride the Rails is designed by John Bohr, but the cover bears his alias of Harry Wu, and it's based on his 2014 design, Rail USA, which was published by his own Winsome Games. The 2020 capstone publication of Ride the Rails has art and graphic design from Ian O'Toole and rulebook editing by Travis D. Hill. Ride the Rails board game geek listing states it's for 3 to 5 players in a playing time of 45 to 60 minutes. That playing time seems pretty accurate as a recent 4 player play of this I had took almost an hour exactly and that was with two people who were relatively new to not just this game, but cube rails in general. That play was with BJ from Board Game Gumbo and with his friends Dave and Adam, and you can find it in full on the Board Game Gumbo YouTube channel. So, let's talk about Ride the Rails. I mentioned earlier that this is a cube rails game, and that's not surprising considering that it comes from a designer in John Bohr and a publisher originally in Winsome Games that is known for those designs. Cube Rails games are a subset of train games that offer some of the same stockholding concepts and different player incentives that you might find in longer, more complicated 18xx games. But Cube Rails games tend to be much shorter and faster to play and also easier to introduce to people. Two Cube Rails games I've previously discussed on this podcast are Union Station from Travis D. Hill, which I previously discussed on the October 6, 2021 edition of this podcast, and Luzon Rails from Robin David, which I discussed on the June 16, 2021 edition of this podcast. A couple of John Borer's other Cube Rails designs include Chicago Express and German Railways, both of which were initially published by Winsome Games and then were picked up by Queen Games. Ride the Rails has some elements of those other Cube Rails titles, including shared incentives and stock ownership. But what really makes Ride the Rails different is its focus on passengers. Ride the Rails is played over six rounds, each of which is divided into three phases. 
in the first phase take a share. Each player, in reverse turn order, takes a locomotive of a currently available railroad and puts it in their stock holdings. The game starts with only two different railroads available, but that expands over following rounds. Next is phase two, build railroad track. There, players will take a number of locomotives of one or more railroads that they have shares in and place them out onto the map. That number is usually eight locomotives with three players, five locomotives with four players, or four locomotives with five players. Railroads begin at their starting city and expand from there, with all track having to be connected to their previous track. Each railroad can only place one locomotive per hex, and most hexes can only have up to two different railroads with track in them. After that track placement comes phase three, ride the rails. There, in regular turn order, each player takes one passenger from a city on the map and transports it from that city to another city. This can be as short or as long as they like and down the links of one or more railroads. But if it's on different railroads, they have to meet in a city, not in the open country. Each railroad gets paid $1 per link of theirs that was used, with a link being a city-to-city -city section of track, and the player who did the movement gets paid the total amount of links plus one. Then, each railroad that made money from this passenger travel distributes that money to its shareholders. I mentioned the turn order here, and that is quite important. It's changed after every round, with the player who has least money going first. That means they get to pick stocks after other people, and they get to place tracks and move passengers before other people. The passenger movement here is really interesting and really different. The only other game I've played that has passenger movement anything like this is Ticket to Ride Marklin. But this isn't normally seen in a cube rails game, and seeing it in a cube rails game with stocks and with shared incentives makes for a whole lot of interesting decisions. Ride the Rails has one of my favorite things in games, which is an expandable system with different maps that only have a couple of rules changes, but with those changes being significant enough to change gameplay a fair amount. There are currently four different additional maps offered from Capstone Games, in two different two-packs. Winsome Games also has a couple of expansion maps that are offered which can be used to either Ride the Rails or Rail USA. I like Ride the Rails quite a bit and I think it's a good twist on some Cube Rails concepts, so it may be worth checking out if that appeals to you. I'm Andrew Buckholtz and you can find me at Andrew Buckholtz on Twitter. B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. You can also find my board game writing at BoardingGame.com. Thanks for listening. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. And you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's what you've been playing Wednesdays. And what have we been playing? We've been playing some more Marvel Champions. Now, I'm not sure when this is going to be released. Our videos may or may not be out there. 
We've been getting through all the content just to catch up and also building some reviews. So we've got some stuff for when we're busy. We've got uh, lots of cool stuff going on in our lives these days. But in any case, you get to hear our thoughts either when these videos are coming out or you'll have a couple weeks uh, before to think about it and maybe get excited to check out our reviews. Now, the two characters that we've been playing uh, were Spider-Ham and spider who is Penny Parker using a robotic spider suit with her ally, the telepathically linked spider that controls the suit with her. So, pretty cool character. So, what would you want to talk about first, uh, Julie? Let's start with the silly and absurd Spider Ham. Um, so, there's some really weird cards in there. Uh, I mean, you have to be really willing to put yourself into the uh, the mind of a um, cartoon. cartoon character. Uh, I mean, you have stuff like sticking your tongue out at the villain and something cool happens or uh, high-fiving uh, one of your fellow um, heroes and that also allows you to do some cool stuff. So And the cartoon physics where you wear your body and only take one damage. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool card. Uh, so, I mean, there's some... some, some that one was hard to come out there's some interesting stuff um it's not my favorite character i feel like it's a little silly uh it definitely uh was efficient against uh you know against the villain in the game that we played um but it didn't for some reason it didn't feel quite as satisfying well i think that goes to similar to the problem that we had with with nova is and also like rocket and groot is he is running a justice deck and while that works very well for certain characters, it does limit the amount of damage that he is able to, to put out. And I think that maybe running in with more of an aggression deck or a differently built justice deck would just feel a lot more satisfying. Because it does feel like a lot of his cards make him incredibly powerful, but the deck itself that comes with it doesn't feel that powerful as a whole. Meaning that I think this character may have the most potential to be the most broken character in the game if you have all the content that you can make some incredibly ridiculously powerful combos where you're not going to be taking any damage but just piling on the damage and dealing damage like crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it, uh, it, it definitely has some potential. I can see having it in the, uh, the deck. I think it would be probably be best at a three-player game. Um, personally, but I mean, it was still fun, uh, still fun to play, and I, I would recommend adding it to your collection, especially if you like, uh, if you like the Spider Spider Man world. That being said, Spider, yes, <laughs> that was pretty cool. I mean, again, this is one that you have to build, uh, you have to build the character up uh, with the different components. I really wasn't sure, uh, but then once I got it going, wow, you can get some real damage going. And it's a very different type of character. I'd almost call Spider being a, like a mini engine builder. You're literally building your engine, equipping your suit, getting your pieces in place so that you can do a lot of stuff because without the suit geared up, you have a lot of limitations. Now, the nice thing is with Penny Parker's uh, ability or alter ego action, she is able to draw more cards to mitigate the fact that your hand size is very limited because of just what the spider suit can do. If you had a full six card hand size, the suit would be absolutely ridiculous. But I do like the fact that they gave you the advantage, well, not the advantage, they took into account how difficult it can be to get the suit going and gave you a way to start drawing some cards from your deck. Yeah, but there's also some cards that allow you to draw extra cards. 
uh, you know, it didn't always work for me, but uh, towards the end, I really got rocking there and I did a lot of damage uh, in what, two, two turns, two rounds? I think I basically took out the villain. I, I know we said that Ironheart uh, was probably our favorite hero, but I have to say in terms of just experience and bringing something new to the game, I think Spider might be my favorite. I don't know if I'm going to want to play her all the time, but as I would with Iron Art, which I'll take into battle with anybody, but I really enjoyed the experience of playing Spider. It's just something unlike anything else we've seen in Marvel Champions uh, today. Yeah, Iron Heart was pretty different as well, but that was, you know, we talked about her already. Uh, Spider was it was fun, yeah, and she was interesting. I definitely preferred her to Spite, uh, Spider Ham. <laughs> uh, you know, it it the other one was bordered on ridiculous and uh spider though i didn't know her at all and, and at first i was like okay this isn't gonna work uh it took a couple rounds to get going you were a little quicker once you had seen what cards also you know were important um, yeah i did a lot of mulliganing in the beginning i was like chuck 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 like cards that weren't useful chucked it at the end of the round to make sure i was drawing more cards but I would, I would definitely recommend, uh, you know, I'm not a Spider-Man fan, although I'm starting to have to become because of Little Man. Uh, I don't know what it is with little boys. They love Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> so I have to have a better appreciation of, of the uh, Spider-Man world. But Oh, uh, you're going to have so much fun when he wants to watch all the movies in order on repeat. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. Uh, neither do I. So you'll be able to find our thoughts on these heroes in much more detail whenever the videos are released. And on that note, we're going to remind you to... Keep playing games. Keep playing games. Hi, it's Riley Stock from the Board Game Community Show, back for another What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am excited to talk about the game that I've been playing this week. It is a Kickstarter, and I just got it last week. I've played it four times, and it has been a blast. It is Endangered Orphans House of Wrath from Certifiable Studios uh, by Joe Boyden. And it is a lot of fun. The theme is pretty dark. My wife didn't super love that. She wanted to change some of it. So in this one, this is kind of a, a sequel. The original, you're playing as an orphan and you have options cards and you're just trying to out-survive the other players, out-live the other orphans because they're going to get eaten by the boogeyman and you don't want to be eaten by the boogeyman. So this kind of continues on with that kind of theme of orphans in danger. And you are in a house this time and it's Count Wrath's house and he wants to eat the orphans. And so you're trying to be the last orphan standing. But this time you've got three orphans. So you're taking care of your three orphans. You want as many of them to survive as possible. But that means you're going to have to feed Count Wrath the other orphans. It seems so dark, but there is a lot of humor in it, kind of dark humor. And the art style is very Tim Burton-esque. In the game, there are seven hexagon tiles, and they start out together, kind of in that flower formation. Count Wrath is in the middle, and then each tile has three orphans on it. And then you will reveal three orphans from an orphan deck, and you get to 
hide those orphans. So you just flip the orphan token back or uh, upside down and it is now hidden and Count Wrath won't have access to it. He doesn't know they're there. Then after you do that, you shuffle all the cards together. You deal out four uh, of these orphan cards to each player. And then you look at the four cards, pick three of them, keep those, get rid of the one. And then it's time to roll your options die. There's multiple options. When you roll it, if the most popular one is going to be this gear symbol. And when that gear symbol shows up, you either get to rotate a single room twice or rotate two rooms once. That could make an orphan harder to find. But also when you rotate rooms, if there's any hidden orphans in there, they're going to become revealed. And so now they might be a possible target later. Very clever. And you could even rotate a room full of orphans closer to Wrath so that maybe that'll appeal to his hunger uh, instead of the one that has your orphan on it. So dark. (laughs) So my wife likes to say like, well, maybe they just get adopted. Then the next option is feet symbol. And that means you get to move your orphan. So if you have a revealed orphan, meaning everybody at the table now knows that your orphan is Joey, then he's a target now. Like everybody knows so they can eat Joey safely to get you out of the game. And then there is the key symbol. And when the key symbol comes up, you can lock a door and you just place a lock token on the seam. And that makes it so that Count Wrath can't travel that way uh, unless all of the other orphans are gone or hidden. And then he can break through the door and get to those orphans because those are the only visible ones that he could possibly know about. And then the final one is a question mark. Oh, no, that's not the final one. But the the question mark lets you do any of them. Of course, that's like a, you know, take your pick. There's only one of that on the entire die. The other one is an eye symbol. And that one you can use to either hide a orphan, reveal an orphan, unhide an orphan. So flip it upside down or right side up. And then you could reveal somebody else's orphan card. And that way, you know one of their orphans and you can start to hopefully target that. But after you finish your one action, you roll that options die, make your decision. Then it's Count Wrath's turn and he's going to move to the room that has the most orphans. If there's a tie, then you as the player, it's your turn. You get to choose which room to send him to. And then you get to choose of those orphans on that tile who is going to be eaten. Uh, And so it's a very clever game because sometimes, you know, if you hide an orphan or rotate a thing or or move an orphan, it might make them an obvious target. So you may not want to move that. You might want to move an orphan to make another location have four, and that location now only has two, and so that it'll lure Count Wrath away from your orphan. Um, there's, there's so much cleverness to it, and the, the main game is definitely a versus experience, and I think that's what it's best at. It is really entertaining, a lot of fun, clever moments. Um, And if your orphan is about to get eaten, then you will roll a D6. You'll reveal your orphan. If you reveal it and your orphan gets uh, eaten, you get an options card, which gives you some sort of ability so that you can mix things up. (sighs) That's just so cool. And then if they're about to get eaten as well, uh, you get a chance to run away and you'll roll a D6. And then there is a card that has six options five and six you get away safely one through four 
something bad happens and you're eliminated. But this, it tells like a story, right? So it's like one, oh, there's two things on this plate. At least one of them is you or something like that. And one is like, oh, you got away. Good news, you got away. Bad news is you fell down the stairs and broke your neck. Like, oh, sad. This game is kind of heart-wrenching. Definitely not for the weak of heart. And But it's also just so cute, too, like the artwork. It's one of those deceptive games. It was a great game for Halloween. There's also a co-op mode where you're working together while trying to work together, but you don't know who their orphans are. I find it's been pretty easy at two-player co-op, um, and it's still entertaining, but definitely not the prime experience of it. That is it. Endangered Orphans, House of Wrath, a lot of fun. I've been Riley Stock. That's what I've been playing. Thank you. You can find me on Twitter at RyleNerd, and you can listen to the Board Game Community Show every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep nerding out. Hello, I'm Jordan. And I'm David. And this is Board on the Air, a weekly radio show in, on CFCR in Saskatoon. And this is What Have You Been Playing? Tonight, we are talking about Twilight Inscription, a 1-8 to eight player roll and write. Yes, this one's giant, designed by James Niffen, who did a bunch of Star Wars Armada, Star Wars X-Wing, and the game Forbidden Stars, which I'm not super familiar with, but it I've seen it. Yeah. It's based on Twilight Imperium. Yeah, it's... At its heart, it's Twilight Imperium, the roll and write. Yes. Uh, you get four boards in front of you. Each You're, one's devoted to its own thing. Yeah, each one... It, one's what? Uh, there's exploration, uh, planetary stuff, uh, warfare, and in- industry. Yeah, uh, nice production, nice sheets. Uh, they have the asymmetric side and the similar side, or the the same side. Yeah. Uh, you you're flipping over cards, which give you what's happening that round, uh, and it could be you know warfare, diplomacy, uh, diplomacy, industry, industry, or mainly strategic events. Yeah, and so it's going to give you a couple of symbols. You're going to use those symbols to uh, choose which board you're going to use for that round. And then you're going to roll the dice. And there's three black dice. or Yeah, three black dice and three colored dice. Uh, everybody gets to use the three black dice. Anybody who's unlocked the color dice for that board Can use gets th- to use that one. Yeah. There's three different resources, which is what the color dice pertain to. Each one has their own resource. And then the black dice all have the three resources on them, but you're more commonly going to get one of the three than the other ones, because I think there's three of one, two of the other, and one of the rarest one. Yeah, I've never played Twilight Imperium. Uh, I just don't... I I would rather play three midweight euros than one Twilight Inscription, or Twilight Imperium game. Yeah, I've played Twilight Imperium three, three or four, three, two or three times, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, your mother likes it a lot. Uh, it's pretty much the ultimate four X game, uh, yeah. in most people's opinion. Yeah. Uh, 
as Dad said, with this game, you flip over cards, that's what you're doing. Strategic events is where you're getting the resources and planning stuff out. Warfare is where you're mainly doing what you've done on the warfare board, and you're fighting the people adjacent to you, similar to, like, uh, Seven Wonders. Yeah. Yeah, where you, you add up your military, and you have a left and right military on your one board, and you compare it to your, compare it to your neighbors... Whoever's highest is going to get a bonus for that round. Whoever's lowest is going to lose a point at that point. At the end of the game. Uh, there's four, three votes in the game? Yeah, three three separate votes. Uh, you're slowly getting uh, more votes. You'll get votes every time you trigger the event, which happens by card. Yeah. But you can increase the number of votes you get beforehand, and you're not required to spend all the votes at that time. Yeah, and there are... How many rounds do you play? About 15, 16 rounds? I think it's 24 24? So. Okay. Uh, so you play a lot of rounds. Uh, the game is... It says it takes about 90 minutes to two hours. Yeah. Uh, I would say, we, including the teach, we were right around there. I, I think the second time we played it, would go a lot quicker. Yeah. It's one of those ones that it seems a lot when you first look at it. But like most rolling rights, it's pretty self-explanatory after a little bit. Yeah, there's some combos in it. Uh, not as much as, say, Fleet the Dice Game or Hadrian's Wall. No, it's not combo-heavy. It's all about managing it as efficiently as you can to your faction's strength. Yeah, you're managing a lot of resources. I know the factions each had a special ability. I didn't use mine, really. Uh, I used it... Once or twice, I would say, but more more focused on two of the four boards. Uh, I did a little bit on the third board, and the fourth board I pretty much ignored completely. Yeah, and that's somewhat what I did. I just, we did it on different boards. Yeah, I, I think if you try to do all the boards equally, you're only going to do six turns on each, and that's not going to get you a whole lot of points, I don't think. No, especially when certain boards need other boards to be doing well to get stronger on it yeah the, there's some uh cohesion between the boards where if i work on this board it's going to help me on that next board uh the two boards i did the exploration and i did the trading or industry boards and yeah. they seem to work fairly well together my my combos in it were getting resources on that exploration board and then using those to further my uh industry Tracks. board yeah uh, there's a good chance I probably either cheated or did stuff wrong because I won the game. <laughs> uh, but now that we've played it, it makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Uh, and I I like rolling rights. I like complex rolling rights. Uh, I thought this one wasn't complex for the sake to being complex. I think there just was a lot going on. And, but they were all good decisions. Yeah. And I think the funnest time is when you flip over that diplomacy card and it's like, okay, is everyone getting a benefit here or is everyone getting a benefit here? And it's like, hmm. Yeah, and, and I think as you added players, it's not going to add any additional time by any means. No. Uh, a little bit more math when you're doing the votes. Uh, but really, you're concerned about your two neighbors. I'm not r really concerned about who's across from me. Yeah, and right? there's no special strength to being first player. There is no first player. No, the oh. same person rolls. Yeah, it's just there's a speaker, and their whole goal is they roll the dice, and they're in charge of making sure everything runs well. Yeah, 
and I thought it worked well. Uh, we played it four-player, uh, looking forward to a few more plays of it just to get a better understanding of strategy and that type of stuff. Yep. And, and see if there is multiple paths to victory. Well, I would think so. It just it comes down to what your starting faction will end up being, I think. Because yep. there are factions that are very much oriented towards warfare. And if you aren't doing warfare, they're not going to be giving you the best benefits. Or, like, moms seem to be doing a lot of exploration and giving technologies. Yeah, my, mine was really the exploration with a little bit of the industry is where they sort of blended together. And, and as I said, I didn't use their special ability that much, but there's the latent ability, ability yeah. you get to use all the time. Yeah. Uh, as I said, production's very good. Uh the markers are dry, dry erase markers. They seem to come off okay with a napkin or a paper towel. It's just a lot of erasing. <laughs> it is a lot of erasing at the end of the game. And I think if those, like it's a, it's an orange marker, an orange chalk, I believe is what they said. Uh, if those dry out and you can't get replacements, that would be a little bit frustrating. Uh, just because it's a dark board. And yeah. I think you need that color to You need a bright well. color. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all in all, solid game. Uh, that's Twilight Inscription. I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we'll talk to you next week. Hey there, this is Tim from the Board Game Hot Takes podcast, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. The game I've had on my table this week is called Juicy Fruits. This was designed by Christian Store and is published by Capstone Games in the United States. Now, this was published under their new family publishing group, and I don't know if they've had any other games in this group, but it's quite a bit lighter than your average Capstone game. Juicy Fruits is a small engine building game, maybe something similar in weight to something like Splendor or Dice Throne. But it has a pretty clever gimmick. The idea being that you are, you've got a little island that where you can grow tropical fruit and you are trying to grow enough fruit to get the most victory points. Uh, you're going to do that in a few ways by filling orders, by building some business businesses and getting points from those. Uh, what the clever gimmick here is though, is that if you've ever seen one of those little slide puzzles, these were popular cheap toys when I was a kid, but they look like a little grid uh, with a bunch of squares on them, and there's usually one open space on it. And the idea is that you would slide these little puzzle pieces around until you made a finished picture. Each of the little tiles would have a part of this picture. So you keep sliding and moving things around until the, the picture is completed. Well, Juicy Fruits uses that same con concept, but uh, uses it for resource management. Uh, the way that it works is that you start with your island, which is a five by five grid. And at the start of the game, each of the outside spaces are covered with a little boat that is an order tile. So at the beginning, you only have a three by three grid to use and you have five different fruits in there. There's a banana, a lime, an orange. Uh, you get the idea. And uh, basically what's going to happen is that those tiles are set up to start with. And as far as you can slide one of those tiles in one direction, you get that many resources of that type. There are the five different fruits or the types of resources you can collect. So at the start of the game, of course, because you just have this little three by three grid and the five tiles on it, every tile in the first round is only going to slide one space. So let's say I move my, my lime one space over 
and that gives me one lime sp spot. Uh, then the other players take their turns. It comes back to me. Now I can slide my orange two spaces because the lime is no longer in the way. So I slide the orange down two spaces and I get two oranges. Now, after I take that action to slide the tile and get the resources associated, then I can do one of two things. I can either fill one of these boat orders around the edge of my island, which is great because if I fill it, I get some victory points, but I also get to move it off the island. And that opens up my slide puzzle area, gives me the opportunity to get more resources. Or there's this other board that allows me tr to trade in some of these fruits for, I think they're business licenses, but that concept being that you essentially are going to build a business. And there are a few different mechanisms that come with those businesses, but this is also the timer on the game because each time you buy one of these business licenses, you move a little uh, ribbon down a track, and when that gets to the bottom, that triggers the end of the game. Some of these businesses do things like they will take up a space on your, on your, on your, uh, your island board, and it might be one space or it might be a, a you know, one-by-two uh, tile or it might be a two-by-two two tile, so they'll take up some space on your uh, on your on your board, but they may be worth end game points. Um, they may be worth variable end game points based on other objectives you've done within the game, that type of thing. So that's one of the ways you're going to get going to get points. Some of the other tiles are little moving carts, so you could pick up an ice cream cart, for example, and now that's something you can move around your little slide puzzle. And when you move that, you can fill orders based on the type of cart it is, and then you can also pick up advanced fruit tiles that will allow you to take one or a different type of fruit when you put it on your board. So you're starting to add more stuff to your board, but the board is also getting opened up because you're removing some of the orders around the edges of it. This creates a fun little dynamic where you're you're you know pushing early to try to clear up the board to make it easier to gather resources, but you also want to use that space to turn into some victory points later in the game. I thought this was a pretty entertaining little game. The concept of the slide puzzle was unique and that was fun to play around with. But I would say that, you know, since the main part of your turn is just pushing this little tile to get resources, you know, that got a little old. It wasn't something that was super fun to do all the time. But most turns after you did that, you're going to be able to do something. You're going to be able to, you know, fill one of the orders on your boat or buy one of these licenses. So it always felt like you had something impactful to do on most turns. The game didn't overstay as welcome. In fact, I would almost say it felt just a tad bit short, where just as I was starting to get my engine to a place and, you know, get to some of these things that I could fill orders or, or build a cart that I ran out of time and the game ended. Um, but, you know, it was fun enough for what it was. I think these light little engine builders, again, I mentioned Splendor, they never seem to just be quite as fulfilling as I'm hoping for. So a fun little distraction, uh, something to do for 20 minutes in between some heavier games for me. Or, you know, with a newer player, with a, you know, with a, with a younger player, I think these are going to be just great. This game was definitely fun, had some interesting enough things going on for more advanced players, but um, probably not a game that I'm going to ask for. So that was Juicy Fruits by Christian Store and Capstone Games. Uh, if you want a family weight engine builder, I think this is a really fun one to try out. It does some unique things, um, but that's kind of the spot that it fills in. If you'd like to hear more of our podcast, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts at Board Game Hot Takes, and you can also follow us on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes. Until next week, take care, everybody. Hey, everybody, this is Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. 
And uh, what have I, what you been playing, LePage? Well, I've been playing uh, for the first time, and I've seen it played, oh, when I started this whole board gaming hobby journey, uh, stumbling upon uh, Will Wheaton and his, uh, and his tabletop YouTube channel. And uh, they played a game that completely uh, uh, dialed me in of interest and of want to play. And I finally, yeah, I know, right? Finally get to play it. And it's Champions of Midgard. Uh, this came out in 2015. And it's designed by Old Stein, uh, uh, Stein S, I believe, and uh, published by Gray Fox Games. And it is a, um, well, here, basically, I'll, I'll give you the, the rundown because I need to pay this game some, some props because I've waited so long and it paid off, right? So Champions of Midgard is a midweight Viking-themed worker placement game with dice rolling, which players are leaders of Viking clans and have traveled to an embattled Viking harbor town to help defend it against the threat of trolls, Draugr, and other mythological Norse beasts. By defeating these epic creatures, players gain glory and the favor of the gods. When the game ends, the player who has earned the most glory earns the title of Jarl and is recognized as Champion of Midgard. So, uh, it's worker placement. Sorry, John. Uh, and uh, again, dice rolling. Dice hate me, but in this case, uh, the, the fact that the dice represent... Uh, um, warriors and those warriors are defeated in battle and because we played with both expansions I'm just going to bring it bring them up here the one of them uh, that we played is the Valhalla and the other one I believe was the the monster there's like a monster package where they're um, I forget what it's called but I'm there's there's way too many expansion cards to scan through but uh, yeah uh, both those uh, um, expansions were turned on because we had the most awesome player mat that I believe uh, um, Dave said, and Dave and Jordan and uh, Jeff during Gamers Garage. That's what we played, and uh, Dave said that this was purchased straight from Gray Fox site because it was Shay's, and Shay loves this game so much that she blinged, blinged it out, and uh, it was so much fun to play. Now uh, this was first play. The uh, Dave and Jordan have played before, so they know the nuances and then the connectivity. Jeff and I um, were it was first place for us, and and uh, we we or Jeff played it a couple times, but not a for a long time kind of thing. But long story short, uh, we were both on the same kind of uh, uh, playing level, I guess, and uh, we were within two points of each other. Uh, Dave ran away with the game because he <laughs> he understood the end of game bonuses with some of the uh, the the oracle cards I think they're called. Um, but yeah, there, I definitely want to play this game again. Uh, this was so much fun. The um, the 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 ch the championing or the the hiring of uh, of the warrior dice is so much fun because each different colored dice and there's a there's a hierarchy of them right and you want to try and get up to the really good dice and you have to do certain euro things right trading resources kind of stuff to get there uh it is i mean i had so much fun with it uh and at the uh at the expense of of you know coming right in the middle kind of thing or uh um i i there was no there was no kind of you know you know how you have the scrunchy nose 
You know, when you go, hmm, and you get the, there was no scrunchy nose at all during this game. Uh, I understood it. It was a matter of me uh, uh, realizing that, you know, first plays, you can't grok something and rock it in the first play. And if you can, kudos. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was so much fun in the fact that uh, it was just a uh, Viking themed. It was just a race to, to pick a fight and, and allot the dice and go, all right. <laughs> let's see how this let's see how this rolls out literally um yeah i would encourage anybody to give this a try or at least you know investigate um but uh, uh yeah i i gotta play this game again this was so much fun uh, i believe there is a uh a sequel to this one and uh i'm not going to i'm not going to uh, uh you know stop things and go check it out but uh i, I remember um uh, Blue Peg Ping Peg, Rob saying that, I think it's Reapers of Midgard, maybe, uh, that that one was even better than this one. So, yeah, oh, man, I, I mean, no, maybe I should start a Christmas list or just put it straight in the cart. <laughs> My hand is already going to the mouse to go to put it in the cart. So that says a lot. Uh, so, yeah, I can't, I can't endorse this game more than I have been already. Uh, that is Champions of Midgard. Designed by Ole Steiness and published by Gray Fox Games. And uh, that takes us to a nice, tight episode. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to what we have to say. And uh, hopefully uh, expanding your need to purchase more board games. <laughs> and thank you, of course, to the uh, um, transmitters of this need to purchase more board games. The content creators that every week come together and put this show to help me put the show together. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. You know, it's, this, it's so fantastic. I love this community. Uh, and that being said, snow hit today. So really, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>